If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Old Brother, a podcast about legendary musical institution, The Fall. Each week we invite along a guest to chat about their experiences and memories of the group. You can find us at all the usual suspects, but we're hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash old brother. All episodes are also available on YouTube. You can search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This week we're joined by the legendary Martin Brahma, main man of the Blue Orchids and Factory Star, and of course founded member of the group we're all here to talk about. Hope you enjoy it. episode of Old Brother, a fall podcast with me, Paul Hanley, and my brother, Stephen Hanley. Hello, Steve. Hello. So we've got to be on our best behaviour today. We've got a founding member of the fall, and who was our boss for a bit as well, in Factory Star, so have to be nice and polite. So without further ado, uh, Mr. Martin Brahma, how are you, mate? I'm all right, thanks, yeah. Nice to chat to you both again. I'd just like to uh, crack a can in honour of the man that's brought us together once again. Yeah, okay. I'm thinking to that. Very good. Yes. There you go. Now I can start slagging him off. Right. Okay. I was joking. <laughs> right. Okay. Just the phrase. We're going to go back. So, yeah. pre pre the Sex Pistols gig, and this is this is the, how it always gets printed. You were you you were just you were sort of a band, but you were hadn't played live. Is that right? Is that the, the yeah. Sex? Well, yeah, that's right. We were just a, you know a gang of mates hanging out, listening to the same sort of music. Uh, and we kind of felt like we were a band, you know what I mean? We were a gang. Yeah. We are going to become a band, because that was the way it went. In those so days. you did talk about actually being a band then? Yeah, yeah, it's just a dream, like, you know, teenage lads do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I mean, I'd known Mark um, a couple of years, even before we saw the Sex Pistols, so we'd been hanging out for a couple of years. I, I remember going to see Lou Reed in 74 at the Free Trade Hall with Mark, for instance, and we were all right. wearing our velvet underground wraparound shades and black turtlenecks, and there was... Lou Reed was going through the funky white boy phase, of course, so he was met with disapproval, of course. You must have been the coolest people in there. In, well, I, I, Inevitably, yeah. I don't suppose anybody else thought you were in there, uh, you know, right, double, double denim and uh, what have you, but yeah. <laughs> way ahead of the game. Yeah. So do you think there's anything in that, Martin? That, What's that? Is there anything in the thing that, having seen the Sex Pistols, that was what made people form bands? Was that true for you? Was that what made yeah. gave you the push? It, yeah, it really is, actually. We, we, I mean, we, we, saw, we saw them, um, I think, four times in, in uh, 76. We saw the two Lesser Free Trade Old gigs. Then we saw the Anarchy in the UK tour, which came to Manchester twice. Wow. So by December, we'd seen the Pistols like four times, and... Yeah, yeah, but throughout that six-month period, from like June to December, you know, we were thinking fast and, th- you know. Yeah. Uh, we, knew, we knew we just needed a drummer. We had some ragged 
ideas for songs, and we were, you know we messed about on guitars, you know. And and how and what about the the thing that originally Mark was going to be the guitarist, you were going to be the vocalist. Yeah, that's kind of true. Mark said that. I mean, I wouldn't have put it like that myself, but um, it's true. He had a, he had an electric guitar. He had a cheap Les Paul copy, black Les Paul copy. But it, you know, it's like he's just diggling about on it, never learned any chords and such. But he, he could play a nice uh, discordant kind of riff. You know what I mean? But he, it didn't really take to it. his timing. wasn't very good. He wasn't very. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to mm. be a guitarist. That was obvious anyway. So. But, um, yeah, and I had an acoustic, and I, I was already in, in another band where I was the singer. So, you know, we were hanging out and throwing ideas around, but quickly became apparent that Mark had uh, a way with words, you know, and uh, he would yeah. be a singer of sorts, you know. I yeah. mean, you, you could have both done both, couldn't you? You could have been like, you know, yeah. Squeeze or Buzzcocks. That would have been an interesting... Uh... I actually did used to sing a song uh, in the fall set back in, like, 78. One K wrote the words for. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. I've still, I've still got that riff in my head. What was it called? I forgot. I forgot. But so, it, that's how it went, wasn't it? Yeah, Great song. Yeah, well, that's, that's the one I sang. Yeah, I remember I, it. I mean, I sang half of uh, Rebellious Jukebox as well, but our, our vocal sounds are so similar, and I don't want people to notice that. Anyway, you must be joking. You sound Yeah. <laughs> Right, so I was talking, funnily enough, to John Mark, drummer at Buscox, and he was at the Paul's first gig. He was at the Northwest Arts. Yeah, he had a right. drummer. I'd invited, yeah, I'd invited Pete Shelley down. I'd met Pete Shelley in the ranch bar the week before. We had this gig coming up, our first gig, and I just said to Pete Shelley, you know, I'm in a punk band. <laughs> we're playing Northwest Arts, you know, and he brought Devote, oh, Richard Boone himself. We're all in the audience for that first world gig, and and the next gig was supporting the Buscox in London. Right, where was that? <laughs> North London Polly. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. How many people were at the first that, gig? That was, that was Carl's first gig, because after the first gig, we got rid of that temporary drummer. And I said to Mark, I know this guy is a real good drummer, but he hates punk rock. And he, to be honest, he wasn't keen on Mark Smith either. But when we told him we had a gig in London, we got Carl in. That's how Carl joined for the second gig. Ah, the bright lights. He was lauded, lauded by the bright lights of London. He was, yeah. I took Mark to see him play with this local hard rock band in the Conservative Club. And uh, surprisingly, Carl was up for the gig, yeah. He never looked back, of course. I mean, I mean that must have been a right difference, that, when you got Carl in, because he was a different class, wasn't he? I mean, even yeah. if you look at the other Manchester bands then, I mean, they yeah. had some great drummers, like Steve Morris and what have you, and John Marr was brilliant, but he was... He was in a league of his own, yeah. I mean, I, again, I'd known Carl for a few years. We'd been mates, you know, since yeah. I was teens. And uh, so I remember the first time he sat behind a drum kit around at, um, his girlfriend's house, uh, his his girlfriend's mum was going out with a, a, you know somebody in a fucking local band, so to swear, called um, Mad Attic. Anyway, Carl just sat behind this kit that was in the back living room, and uh, could he could just play it. That was Carl, you know, he could pick up a guitar and play it with a mad. Yeah. He never yeah. had any lessons. He just got behind the kit and started playing it. it was natural. So he never had lessons, Carl. Is because I what he never had lessons. That's completely self-taught, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, he told me, I'm sure he told me that he was he did loads of gigs in Germany for some, like, uh, cabaret, cabaret band. That... Yeah, well, he, was, he was playing in the kind of heavy rock cabaret band. They were just doing yeah. covers of all the standards, you know. I don't so know that's where how he, he kind of learned. Yeah, I, I don't know where he went on tour with them. I can't remember, but he could have gone to Germany with them. But then you know what counts like. <laughs> he went to Germany with him, left halfway through the tour, yeah. crashed yeah. around Germany and rejoined. Hang on a minute. 
That's my fondest memory. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember he showed me a picture on the street of uh, Hitler with these two uh, generals. And, and they put a, a, a biro circle around the head of one of these generals and he was telling us, that's my dad. This is only about 14. <laughs> 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 he was assistant, you know. That's my dad. <laughs> he was a big fan of German culture, shall we say. Oh, yeah. That's it. Sound of Music's his favourite film. Full of Nazis and nuns. Yeah. <laughs> so the Buscocks were quite good to the fall in them early days, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were um, Yeah, great benefactors in the early days, yeah. They paid for the... The Bigger Masses Breakout EP, they paid for that to be recorded, yeah. Yeah. Because I was, I was reading somewhere that they were going to put it out, but then they ended up signing to United Artists, so the label kind of went by the wayside. That's pretty much what happened, yeah. Yeah, Richard Boone just got really busy working with United Artists, which he was kind of reluctant to do, if I remember rightly, but that Buscocks were to go that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> and, and so New Hormones just got put on the back burner and never really did anything after that. But, yeah. So what I'll have to know the timings of how Steve Garvey ended up in Buscocks around about the time Mark joined on bass for the Falls. That's a, is that about the right same time? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. I mean, Steve... Garvey was another schoolmate of mine, and uh, he was a really good bass player. And uh, Pete Shelley said, you know, when Garth left, Pete Shelley said to me, we're looking for a a new bass player. And I said, you know, Steve's a great bass player. Give him an audition. So he got an audition and got the job. He was a good fit. A good fit. Brilliant bass player. Yeah, he played in Blue Orchids uh, with Nico in Europe as well. A couple of years later. Yeah. In 82, I think. Yeah, he did a stint. Right, well, that would have been just after they split then, won't it, I suppose? Yeah, Buscox. yeah, yeah. Right, um, so, hang on, where, where are we now? So you've just you've yeah. just played London for the first time. Uh, yeah. So Seven did you do a lot of gigs early on? Or was it, because it was, was it quite sporadic then? Or how, how well organised were you early on? Well, it was a bit of a blur now, but um, we seem pretty busy. But, you know, when it's, it's all new, so even one gig a month it seems pretty busy, doesn't yeah. it, when you're starting out? Yeah. So, um... Yeah, we were just getting gigs here and there. Manchester, uh, London, Liverpool. Was kind of you, you, you were managing yeah. yourselves then, were you? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, to- yeah, we were. Tony Friel was kind of, um, fancied himself he was managing us, you know, out of the, all the band members. Uh, you know, and then, of course, Kay came along and we, we thought it'd be a good idea for her to manage us. And then, um, of course, it became much more Mark's vehicle at that point because he was yeah. leading you know. <laughs> so is that, where you, is that where you see the sort of, the tilt from... Collective to Marky Smith and um, yeah, when 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 Tony left, really Tony yeah. left because he didn't like it. It was over one night. Uh, we, we were picking up the money somewhere in Manchester. I think we played the squat somewhere. Can't remember where. It might have been the university. But um, we're getting in the van, and uh, Tony's been to get the money off the promoter, and it's he's already give it K. So he's like, "Who took the fucking who, <laughs> who took the money? Uh, K's got it. That's my job, you know." So anyway. So, uh, so Mark told him where to get off and that Kay was doing it from now on. And uh, so they had a bit of a set to. I, I ended up punching Mark that night, actually. Oh, blimey. Yeah. Yeah, overall that. Only Tony left and I didn't leave, but I, yeah. I, I did punch him. But I got pulled off by John Postman and a few other angers on who were around the van. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first time we could actually come to blows. So was, was that kind of the first problem for Tony or had it been building up to... It had been building up. He didn't like yeah. case cuts and um, I don't know. You know, Tony's um, his own man and he had his own ideas and uh, it didn't 
think the fall was going the way he wanted to go. So, you know, he'd had enough by the first few months. Because him and Mark had been such close mates like the previous year or, you know what I mean? But mm. they'd fallen out. So yeah, there's, all, there's all them letters, isn't there? Yeah, right, me. that's right. Mark was like typing out all those uh, letters. Yeah. Yes. yeah, interesting. Yeah, so then when Eric came along, was he, he yeah. was, who, who picked Eric then? Was he a mate of yours or? No, that, he came through Mark and Kate, but really through John Cooper Clark. But, um, you know, it's obviously a conversation that was had probably in a bar between Mark, Kay and Clark that Eric would be a good replacement. Yeah, so he just turned up at rehearsals one day. Right. Yeah. So you, you, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you, you weren't worried about your position being slipping away by that point, were you? Or... <laughs> Give me a, no. I don't mean they were going to sack you. I mean that you, yeah. you were less of... You know, it was it was less down to you because you know you should be consulted about who the bass player is, really, shouldn't you? You would think. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember being, but I wasn't that arsed. I mean, it's just is the is the new guy. Let's get to see if he's any good. I mean, he was a lot. But you did you didn't know Eric then? Because no, I I really presumed you knew him. Not really, no. Mm. Not that I remember it. No, it was a new face to me when he turned up. He can't have been in long, can he, Eric? No, he wasn't. But it made quite an impression. I, I got on with him really well, obviously, because he ended up uh, starting Blue Orchids with him when, when I left the fall a year later, or when, whenever it was. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, we started rehearsing at Eric's because he had this big... Um, between him, John Cooper Clark, and, and a lad called uh, Steve, who was a painter, I forget his name now. Uh, they had, like, a whole sort of Victorian semi-detached in Sedgley Park and uh, Eric had the ground floor and so we started rehearsing in his back room and, in, and Clarkie was on the second floor. So is but, that where the Gnad Reports was filmed? Uh, no, that was um, in a little studio, uh, a studio that was in a basement. I'm not sure if it was Strawberry 1 before they had Strawberry 2. I think oh, right. Because Tony Wilson just booked this, you know, this uh, basement of a studio and we filmed it there. Yeah. Right. Ah, right. I always, thought, I always thought that was John Cooper Clark's house. You, you, you filmed that. Uh, what, no, that first Granada reports thing, Psycho Mafia and just yeah. play and that. No, we were down in the sort of basement. There was a yeah, some kind of studio, but yeah, Tony Wilson had booked it. We went there. Yeah. Right. Was it? It seems it, it's. It's. I know it's looking bad, but it seems quite an easy process then, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? I know it was right place, right time, wasn't it? Yeah. You know. We were just thinking the right things at the right. We, you know, we had our fingers on the pulse. What can you say? The music. Oh yeah. Oh, I, 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 didn't, I don't mean that you didn't deserve it. It's just it seemed it seemed like there was a path there for every. You know, not just the fall, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like you had trouble getting gigs. No, it seemed to come quite easily to yeah. us. Yeah. You know, we took that kind of for granted in our arrogance. I think that uh, this is all meant to be. Crap. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, Ren, so then obviously Mark joined, Mark Riley, and that was the yeah. first, that was the, well, you did the Bingo Masters. Um, yeah. So, yeah, when did you record that Bingo Masters? Was that in London? No, that was in Manchester. Uh, again, don't ask me the name of the studio. That was the first time I'd been in a recording studio, and I can't remember the name of it even now. It's a blur. Yeah. Don't bother looking for it. It's not there anymore. Yeah, but uh, it was in Manchester somewhere. <laughs> right. So then Tony went, and then... How long then was it before Uno went then? Uh, pretty soon after Tony, actually. Oh, yeah. So, so are we not, we not going to talk about Eric going then? Uh, well, whichever way around you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think because um, Uno went before Eric was forced. 
I remember it. I can't remember. It was it was winter. Can't remember the date. And she left because it was the thing was with Una was uh, her and Mark had been a, a couple. I mm-hmm. mean, when I met them, I met Mark and Una as a couple. So they were this couple with their own sort of take on things. Uh, a bit of the John and Yoko of press, which you might say. Only joke. But, uh, uh, yeah, so Una had decided she wanted to be in an open relationship with Mark uh, and started seeing this other guy. And oh, Mark went along with that, you know, who's quite passive about it, really. Just, uh, but he, he, anyway, and then Kay moved in on Mark uh, once he was available. And that's when Kay turned up. She was like Una's best mate from the mental hospital, press which, uh, yeah. hospital. And, um, yeah, so she was a mate of Una's. And when Una sort of moved out of the shared flat with Mark, Kay quickly moved in. Ah, oh, it's like Fleetwood Mac, isn't it? Yeah, and, and Una soon after left the band because she was going out with Johnny Brown, who was the other bass player who was briefly in the band. Yeah, I think he, he, he did the sleeve for Bingo Masters. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah, and he he must have been before Eric because uh, he he was living somewhere in Charlton and Una sort of moved in with him. And uh, yeah, so he didn't last long because Mark didn't like him obviously because he was with Una. Anyway. Right. You know, these I mean, only lasted months, a couple of months or so. But then Eric, Eric's leaving. It's never musical differences, is it? Well, no, it's always a good one, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to say, seems like a, 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 a trivial reason to leave, and then we'll move on to uh, Steve Davis's Hawaiian shirt for reasons <laughs> yeah, to leave. About. Exactly. So Eric, the day Eric left was our first John Peel session in Maida Vale. And um, I think it was a mate of Kay's, that guy. What was he called? Steve Davis. Yeah, Steve Davis, yeah. yeah. So he had the wine shirt and also the congas in the back. Because he said he'd drive us to London if he could play congas on one song, which was uh, which was at Rebellion Street Box. Yeah, so yeah. I suppose he'd get the BBC fee, wouldn't he, if he played yeah. on one song? I guess he would. I guess he was yeah. thinking of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Eric sees this guy and sees the congas and says, I'm not getting in the van if he's driving it. So we're like, okay, uh, you know. <laughs> it came down as like, okay, see you later. And we, we drove off. What we did was, I says, look, drive us up to Tony Friel's house. I'll borrow his base. So we drove up to Simister, knocked on Tony's door. Just going to borrow your base. We've got to jump pills. Not like, come and play bass for us. I was going to say, what the show was going to I know, it occurred to me at the time. He's just like, can I borrow your base? He says, yeah. So I kind of took, stuck Tony's base in the back of the room, went off. And uh, of course, I played bass on guitar on that first session. And Mark, Riley was the roadie. Uh, after the session, it was like, yeah. you know, we need a bass player. You're the man, you know. So he was yeah. in after that, really. Because yeah. there's that famous picture of it. Uh, is it um, Band on the Wall? Uh, yeah. Kevin Cummins took with Mark's, Mark's first gig, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That must right. have been pretty soon after that. Yeah, but he, he kind of knew all the songs already. Um, yeah. You know, I knew all the bass lines. I sort of simplified all the bass lines, which is... That classic foil bass sound, you see. Yeah, definitely. It's simple, isn't it, Steve? Expert, yeah, yeah. Expert. <laughs> <laughs> how do you play? How did, did you? Play, so you played it on a right-handed bass that session? Yeah, it's only four strings. <laughs> yeah, but the wrong way up. You don't have to play any cards, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, I, as you that. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I tell you what, though, they're, they're pretty good. The congas on the uh, rebellious jukebox. Yeah, they're all right. Yeah. We didn't use them on the album for some reason, though. <laughs> on the album version. No, no. We did. Well, he, he came back for one gig with with uh, when I joined. We played a right. gig, and he he was. I, th- I think he was driving at that as well. And he played. He, he got up for Rebellious Jukebox. That was quite. Was good, that. Yeah. Okay. 
sort of a Mickey Finn of the form. Yeah, indeed. There's only, there's, there's only I think, uh, Yvonne, who I've not played Rebellious Jukebox with, who's played on that, I think. Right, right, yeah. Oh, no, I don't know, maybe, maybe I haven't done Rebellious Jukebox with Carl, actually. I can't remember ever doing it with two drummers. It seems unlikely, doesn't it? It does. You wouldn't be needed if he was there. On no, the... he wouldn't have let me, to be fair. <laughs> he wouldn't, that... wouldn't have let me get my hands on it. <laughs> yeah, no. So then that was a, so then that's a relatively... We've not got to a, um, Yvonne yet, have we? How did you yeah. get Yvonne from an advert in a paper? Is that right? Yeah, Yvonne was great. Uh, total respect for her contribution. She's often forgotten about, really. Yeah. yeah. yeah she played on Witch Trials. She did a great job. She's gone on... Um, it's the new thing in various times, which various times is a classic fall. So yeah. I can for a lot of things that came later. I mean, that, that's a that's a great lineup, that isn't it? That the witch trials and it's a new thing lineup. I mean, everybody, yeah. everyone's on the top of the game there. I mean, everybody's pretty reliable in that lineup, you know. Yeah, we could have been relied on, except the management was annoying us all so much. Well, I, I've always said I thought that lineup could have been a really big, like sort of U two kind of if it was stuck together. We need another. World necessarily needs of the U two. Yeah, would, would have been a good idea. Yeah. But you had the potential, didn't you? I, I guess, think. I guess. So. Who knows? Things are turn out as they as they, they do. Yeah, and then so you've got this fantastic lineup where everybody's brilliant, and then Carl leaves, and you get Mike Lee. That's the next thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so I taking that wasn't your idea. No, it wasn't my idea. No, that's true. It was Mark's idea. Uh, he, he liked the Teddy Boy look, Mark. You know. Yeah. And uh, he thought that that mean you'd get a simple beat with a, just a strong snare backbeat, which is yeah, yeah. I guess he got with a few rotoms thrown in for free. Oh, <laughs> well, they should have been thrown somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> do we know why Carl left the first time? It's, I was, I was, it was a surprise to me. He left after the marquee. I think it was the second time we played the marquee, and we had it was a pretty riotous night. And um, well, was I there? I was possibly there. He might have been, you know, it's all a bit of a blur. Mm. A time ago, who, who was there? He might have been there. Yeah, uh, the, the, the audience were quite aggressive to us that night. I remember smacking some chained-up punk in the mouth. Mid-stick. Nice. You, know, oh. you, get, you get thrown. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of you punching people here, man. <laughs> I, was bit, I, was, I was a wild youth, wasn't I? You were. <laughs> so, so was that when Carl auditioned for Iggy Pop? Was that just after he left? No, no. That, oh, that, was, was, um, that was like 86, I think. Well, was it? Oh, right. 86, yeah, because we had Thirst at the time. Yeah. So I was a bit miffed with him going off to audition for other people because we were starting off this band Thirst, me and Carl. Anyway, yeah. uh, but he had this audition and he was really uh, bricking it. And so yeah. for two weeks in the rehearsal rooms, I was just playing studio songs with him. And he made me go with him to London to the actual audition and just to hold his hand, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so That's I was there in the uh, lounge of the uh, rehearsal space, yeah. So I got to meet Jim, Iggy. <laughs> you don't hold a grudge then, do you? You were miffed with him going off to... Uh... You know, mildly, yeah. But, yeah, but, you, but I just played all the songs with him and went with him to hold his hand for the audition. You, you don't yeah. do miffed very well, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Guess not. Uh, yeah, no. see you like that. Well, he asked me to go with him, so you know, I did three yeah. trips to London. Got to meet Iggy Pop. Iggy, Iggy comes out of the rehearsal room in the middle of Carl's audition and says, "Has anybody got any towels for the drummer?" <laughs> he's sweating that much. Don't blame me. Yeah, he was really bricking at Carl over that audition. And he didn't get it. I don't, yeah, that surprises me about Carl. That yeah, I hope he's going to listen to this. I don't mean to slag you off, Carl. No, no. <laughs> I was, was going to say, but I was. No, that's quite endearing, really. It's, yeah. You know, it's... 
I was going to say about Mike Lee, I don't, I don't think the lineup with you and um, Mike and Mark and Yvonne worked massively well, but he, he kind of worked once Craig and Steve came in, didn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, that's true. There was a little period of transition needed. It's a big change, as you say, from Carl's style to, to Mike's style. And, um, yeah, was, the, the power, the energy was kind of a, a lower level. It didn't have quite have the power and energy we were used to, so we had to nope. adapt you know, to a more contained sort of sound, but it, it's quirky and interesting and original. I mean, and what and what songs came about in that time? I, I don't know if we wrote much in that period. Uh, Figure Walks was uh, there was a few on there, wasn't there? No, Figure Walks was actually an early song. Was it? Well, I think so. Yeah, now maybe I'm getting it mixed up with your heart. Anyway, yeah, Figure Walks might have been from Mike's time. You might be right, actually. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was getting the two songs mixed up. And Printhead, that was one then, wasn't it? Printhead, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know more about it than you used to. I was, only, I, was only a, I was only a callow youth, and I know more about it than you used to. Well, you know, I, I was well, at yeah, the hard to remember who was in the room when we were yeah. you know, playing what song, you know. Sure, you, know, you understand that, Steve. Yeah. No, I can remember it all, <laughs> fortunately. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was at that first gig. That, well, me and Steve were both there, weren't we? That Bowden gig you did, the Mike's first gig, when you'd yeah. obviously ra- raided his dressing up box. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> So I was, is that true? Is that true then? Uh, so uh, we'll have to hang on before we get to where I was going to ask. I was going to. So what happened then for you going? What was the big yeah. thing for you? Oh yeah, you know it's, it's kind of difficult because we'd all got to, we're all in each other's pockets. You know, we all knew each other too well. Um, and Kay was starting to interfere in my private life as I saw it. You know, she. Uh, I mean, generally, you know, it was difficult the way Mark was taking over. He wasn't asking people who wrote what. He was just writing out the writing credits, mm. on, you know, and sending them off. What do you think of that, Steve? It's good you always stop doing that, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. That's gripe, isn't it? But this is the start of that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was annoyed about that, but it wasn't a deal breaker. It wasn't the end of everything. But these were the little niggles. And then when Kay started coming around and telling me who I should be seeing and who I shouldn't be seeing and all this, it's like, you know, just get out of my life, woman. You know what I mean? Right. We can run the band, but you're not telling me. Yet. Anyway, yeah. But that I think that was the last row when Kay turned up on my doorstep about you know some incident. Right. Some some lady at the time that I got involved with briefly. Don't want to name any names, but um, that was the last row. Uh, I've not, I've probably not said that before because generally, you know, it's just all kinds of stuff coming to her head. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was the last remaining original member. I was surrounded by all these, by then, you know, people that um, Mark had, had got yeah. on board, I suppose. You know, for, not, not, you know what I mean? I don't know. So I just decided to leave and do something else. Um, yeah. At that point, I don't know for Kay, really, more, more than Mark. I think the two of them together could be... Uh, it could be difficult. Difficult, yeah. yeah. Difficult to yeah. work for or with, you know. I mean, I know... Mm. You, uh, especially, if you've, especially if you've come from it from the beginning, you know, like... It was, Obviously, a bit different from me because I'd seen the setup and I'd seen how it was running. You know, you're getting into more uh, kind of. Well, uh, this band—they've already been through four bass players. Six months. It's probably a temporary gig, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the other side of that Mark and Kay thing—they they were quite dynamic, weren't they? In a way, they got quite a bit done. Yeah, they, obviously, they were a great combination. 
uh, as far as the outside world goes, as far as getting the fall, the early fall somewhere goes, yeah. I mean, you can see it all in retrospect. Yeah. But at the time, they were just starting to be a pain in the arse. And, um, you know, I don't know. I'd been in the, the fall for two years. I'd known Mark for years before that. It, you know, we just sort of fell out. It was yeah. an intense period. And, you know, we got, got sick of the sight of the pair of them at that point. So right. Just is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so, I'm a great fan of Mark, you know, obviously. Yeah. Brilliant oh. writer. And what I'm you know, that's, the, that's the thing that we've been saying this about on, on this podcast. Everybody we speak to who's been in the band and who you've seen lots of interviews and interviews where people, you know, might not come across as massively happy, but everybody comes across as a real big fan of Mark E. Smith. You mm. know, that's the thing. Yes. Obviously, you'd have to be, wouldn't you, to be in the fall? You couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. So how how long between you leaving? And it was it was it at the Iggy Pop gig that was when it, it happened? It, it, it was. I was actually the on-stage security at that gig. Alan Wise got me the the uh, gig, uh, you know, on stage keeping the girls off Iggy Pop. Tough job. Yeah. Uh, so I was the on-stage security. Me and Eric actually. But uh, yeah, and that night Matt was there in the audience, and after the, the show, I, I took him to one side and says, "Look, I'm leaving. Bad enough." And how did he? How did he take it? He must have been a bit. He was, yeah, he was really upset about it actually, because you know he didn't want me to leave at that point. I, I, it would have seemed I'd be hard to replace. Although it turns out I wasn't, of course. But um, yeah, he, he was upset about it. He told me he was, I was doing a stupid thing and things were going to be uh, really going places soon and all that. Gobins gave me his best pep talk, but of course I'd made my mind up. So right. yeah, he wasn't happy about it. Mm-hmm. And did you well, know? What you were going to do? Did you have plans or did you just nah. want to be not in the fall? Yeah, I, I was just going to give some else, you know, start the Blue Orchids as it turned out, obviously. But yeah. No, but I, I didn't go with a master plan. Did, right, okay. I might have told everyone I was leaving to join Susie and the Banshees, which really pissed me off because I had no intention of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get that from? Oh, out of thin air. I think they were looking for a guitar. I suppose, they, yeah, they were looking for a guitar. I never time. entered the ad because I wasn't interested. Well, I mean, was that when they got John McGock, then? Might be. Because I, I, I never realised he was—he's Manchester, wasn't he? He was living with Malcolm Garrett and um, was uh, and hanging around with Linda and that. So he was on the yeah, scene as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, well, he was in magazine, wasn't he? Yeah, he's—he was a great guitarist. Yeah, I've, I've chatted to him a few times at gigs and stuff in back in those days. Yeah, he, he yeah. was a pair of me in the fall and that. Yeah, so, and he was a great player. Yeah, great guitarist. So. How quickly did it take you to get Blue Orchids together then? Oh, good few months. You know, too many drugs involved. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like uh, we were up and running by within a month. Yeah, it must have been most of 79. We were messing about, rehearsing with various people. I mean, Carl was in the band for a while on drums. We had Tony Freel on bass for a while, but... Uh, and you knew Carl Luna and Tony Freel, were it, at one stage? Yeah, yeah, it was. But it, wasn't, it just wasn't working. Believe it or not, it didn't sound right. So um, you think you would think that'd be a good combination. You would think that. Yeah. But the, the I don't know, the vibe wasn't there. Something. Right. Wasn't... Is it true that you showed Craig the songs? I I did, as I remember it. I don't know what Craig remembers, uh, but he came out to my flat. I had a little flight in Sedgley Park at the time, and he came round one night with his guitar, and I just left the band, and he was getting the the job, and. Uh, Somehow it was a negotiating between probably Mark Riley suggested it that it, anyway it came around just for one night and I just showed him the basic riffs for the set you know as it was then so All right. yeah I did do that 
I know Craig's his own man and he's got his own style, but um, you know, I, I did give him that way into the, the fall songs as it were then. Yeah. You, you didn't. You, you didn't get. Uh, you got a bit short shrift on the credits for those songs on Dragnet, didn't you? Well, I think. Yeah, apparently. I didn't even. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that for years, but it's been pointed out to me that. Obviously, I wrote a few of those songs before I left, and uh, my name's not mentioned, but I'd got used to that by then. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, if, you, if you get used to that when you're in the band, you, it's not really a surprise when you're yeah. not. No. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to write me out of the history of the band for a while. He went through a phase of saying the fall started in 79. The real fall, you know, you guys. Have you ever read that? I did, of course. No, I've no, seen that. My memory. <laughs> <laughs> so then, how, how long were the, the Blue Orchids are going concerned then? So you're saying about 19, started about 80, was it? You got really yeah, good yeah, really sort of, yeah, sort of end of 79, but really sort of, I think it is in 1980, really, in my mind, because that's when we uh, did some demos, got them to Rough Trade. Jeff Travis was interested in us, so we started recording the Rough Trade and uh, got our first single out, I think, at the end of 1980, The Flood. So was it was it was it enough Great to song. live on then, or were you? Um, did you make enough money? I mean, I know people lived pretty frugally in those days, and you know, the fall. I was living pretty frugally. Yeah, no, I mean, it, nobody was paying us a wage at Rough Trade. No, I mean, I was signing on, of course, like every other musician. Yeah, there's a course. bit of money from uh, gigs and records and that, but they were different times. Yeah, they were. Mm. I mean, that's that was it was it was possible to live, wasn't it, by signing on yeah. in them days? Yeah, I'm not so sure it is now, but. Um, Certainly not living being a band like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think yeah. you could do it now. No way. I was going to say, as as it's the fall podcast, we're going to have to skip ahead a bit now to oh. the end of the decade. When Steve's, we're not going there, are we? I think we're going to have to, I'm afraid, Steve. <laughs> so, yeah, we're looking at the so the end of eight, so eighty was it eighty eight? I think. Hang on, let me get my notes. I'm trying to get the my timeline. Mm. So the end mm. of eighty eight, bricks went. Yeah, and then. I was talking to Steve earlier, and yeah. the beginning of '89, the, yeah. the fall did kind yeah. of nothing for six mm. months. Mm. Well, t- uh, they didn't do any gigs. So, and yeah. Steve was saying that a lot of that was recording. Is that how you remember it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you'd already started uh, recording backing tracks for Extricate before I became an official member again, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, the reason I, I rejoined, I mean, I've heard Bricks had left. I just stopped working with Carl. Uh, first, had kind of disintegrated, and I, I thought, well, you know, it's like ten years since me and Mark fell out. I've still got his phone number, so I just phoned him up and said, "Do you fancy doing a bit of writing together?" And he said, "Yeah." So I went round to his house with my guitar. Right. Uh, at first, I didn't, I didn't join the fall straight away, but I, I wrote three songs with him. And then he says to me one day, a few weeks later. later um, Craig and Steve think it would be a good idea if you rejoin the band. He says, I'm not sure about it, but do you fancy it? (laughs) 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 So uh, that's how you put it, in typical Mark. Craig and Steve think it would be a good idea. I'm not so sure. So was that you pushing for that, Steve, was it? (laughs) Yeah. It came up in some conversation. There's going to be a replacement for Brick somewhere along the line. Yeah. And we, Craig and I thought it would be great to get you in here. Yeah, yeah. Makes so, is that the, if you were just writing, is that reason why it's credited to M. Beddington then? Because you didn't want to. Yeah, I told him specifically not to use that name, but he did anyway. I definitely set up as 
with Brown as my pen name, you know, for all legal reasons. Yeah. My, my, my real name is Beddington, Martin Beddington, but I've always been known as Martin Brahma, so that's like my pen name, my stage name, whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd explain that to Mark, you know, just keep crediting me as Brahma, but he'd seen my passport and decided to, I should be Beddington, that's my real name, you know, so he took it into his own hands to credit me as Beddington, which muddies the waters, done it, if people don't yeah. know he probably he had some reason for that. I don't know. But. Well, he was just, yeah. At that point, he was really difficult, wasn't he? That, I mean, that year I felt like he only let me join so he could punish me for leaving last in the time. first place. I don't know. I think for a lot of that year, we were pretty professional and pretty together. We were, yeah. We were as a band, weren't we? Yeah, we were great in unit, but. It was just always uh, having digs all the time. Yeah. Mm. A, I was looking at that. Like, there's like a list of the gigs at the beginning of 89. You went everywhere, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, we did. Busy, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not like UK, then Europe, then the US, Australia. then Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Japan for some Brazil. of you. I didn't get to Japan. I know. <laughs> Brazil was the first uh, time we got on a plane together, I think. But Good God. It was a bit of a long one then. To Carnival Festival, yeah. 12-hour flight, wasn't it? Yeah. They have that. So I came back into the fall. I phoned up Mark. And then, uh, obviously, Craig and Steve got wind of it. And it's a great idea on paper. So, do you regret it then, do you think? I don't regret uh, rejoining the fall. Who would? Why would you? No, I would have been. I'd, I'd, I'd made my mind up nothing was going to make me leave this time because, you know, it was a good going concern, good things were part of. Yeah. But I couldn't stop myself getting fired. It, you know, that's the only thing I couldn't stop happening. So, there you go. So do you, do, you, do you honestly believe that he got you back in just so he could fire you as a punishment for leaving? Like it, it felt like that, yeah. He was pretty frosty with me, you know. But then he was with everyone at that point. And I'm saying it flippantly, obviously. Of course, yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't actually believe he did that. No. It just felt like that. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Well, there must, have been a, there must have been a bit of history then, even mm. subconsciously. Well, I believe when he was very drunk one night in Australia, I wasn't there, but he was screaming at Marsha that I was the man who stole his wife. Well, I had never met Bricks, who was his only wife at that point, so I could only imagine he meant Una, but, I mean, they'd been split for a year before I started seeing her, so whatever. But that's that's the kind of atmosphere that was around by Australia, you know, bonkers. Do you, what, do you remember of that time, Steve? Was it particularly fraught for you, or do you have a, a better memory of that? I do remember a lot of the arguments between Martin and Mark. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Chipping Norton, that was the uh, big argument. Chipping Norton, yeah. He fired oh, me that night, but then he reinstated me for Australia. So, yeah. what, what happened in Chipping Norton? We were recording that uh, Dredger EP, weren't we? Yeah. You know, Blood Out of Stone and uh, White Lightning and all that. And, uh, it, was the night, it was the night that... Um, Lou Reed and John Cale were being broadcast on the BBC. Their album, Songs for Drella, had a BBC special. Right? Yeah. And and you, Stephen, sorry, yeah, you, uh, Craig and Mark, went to the pub. And I, I stayed uh, in the lodgings we had. Well, it was like a living studio, wasn't it? Mm. No. Big sort of Tudor farmhouse. And, uh, so I was in the kitchen watching Lou Reed. On the t- uh, anyway, we had a big row. I was sat there with Marsha, actually, so he came back and thought I was being too friendly with Marsha. That's the issue, obviously. And so we had a big row in the kitchen where he tried to smash a whiskey bottle over me, but he didn't do it. But, no. And I told him what I thought of him, and so he fired me. But uh, then I got reinstated the next morning. Thanks to Steve again, the mediator. Briefly <laughs> <laughs> <Ruth> reinstated. 
<laughs> but again, I mean, you can talk about regrets, but you did get to go, you know, you did get to go to Australia, so it was... I'm, it, not, I'm not regretting anything. You're the one talking about regrets. No, <laughs> no, 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 when I say you you can talk about regrets, I meant yeah, one, yeah. one can talk one about regrets, not you. Exactly. Not you personally. Why? Yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's not really worth regretting these things because mm. it's, it's your life, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, nice. No, I mean, I, I've probably said this before, but mm. uh, well, I have. But uh, there is a diff, and I've thought this a lot over the last few years. It's there is a di- it was a different thing when you were in it and you're in fully yeah. involved in it. Mm. It did seem like a different world that yeah normal normal rules of how to be a human being didn't apply. Yeah, you're a cult member while you're in, aren't you? Mm, what, <laughs> <laughs> <The> mind control. <laughs> 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 so, so after that ignominious departure, did you, did you, is that when you restarted up Blue Orchids? Then was it? Yeah, pretty sharpish. A new, a new, a new lineup of Blue Orchids. Yeah. 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 So why did you decide to call it Factory Star for a bit? If oh, the, back in the day, because yeah. of all the baggage uh, with the name Blue Orchids, I suppose I wanted to do something new because I had a great. Yeah, but that's your. Your baggage, it's not like it's not even like the fall, it was it's all you, the orchids, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's been pointed out to me that you know that's uh that's a label I should uh, live with because it's you know it's it's a commercially viable label, flag to fly under. I'm blue orchids now, but for a while I just wanted to move on, you know, associated with other people. I wanted, yeah, I just wanted a fresh start, new name, which is it's naive, it's it's. Cr- Creatively, it's fine, but it's not practical as far as getting gigs and yes. etc. You keep changing your name, and it's harder to put you in the marketplace, isn't it? That's yeah, you know. So I'm aware of that. It's funny, isn't it? The the difference the name makes, you oh, know, yeah. yeah. Because I mean, it could it, you with some people could easily be Factory Star, and it could easily be the Blue Orchids. But you'll for some reason people will go and see the Blue Orchids. Well, why don't they know? I don't understand the the logic. But it's if you've got the name, it's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, more so nowadays, I think, because uh, when there were like three music papers coming out every week, there was uh, more coverage of your uh, progress, you know. So I think yeah. if you changed your name and, and got an interview in NME, then people were up to speed. Everybody was reading them. Everybody interested in music was reading them three uh, papers every week. And so now it's much more diffuse. So uh, people mm-hmm. just don't know where to look and uh, find out these things unless they're really into you and are following you on, online and stuff. But, yeah. Yeah, so you know, you got to kind of stick. Well, with I suppose it. there is yeah, that. that if you, there is that that if you're calling yourself Factory Star, you not may not necessarily do be doing Blue Orchids material. Yeah, well, you know, that's true. Yeah, did a few, didn't we? a couple of fall songs, a couple of Blue Orchids, a few new ones. Did yeah. you? Because we when we did Factory Star, I got the impression you kind of struggled with that sort of owning it and moving on from it was a kind of constant. Sort of backward mm. and forth for you. Yeah, true. I've always had to sort of uh, manage that on my own terms. You know, the, the fall connection because obviously the falls of a big name you can't escape. We're all kind of, to me, we're all part of this extended dysfunctional fall family, aren't we? You can't yeah. leave the fall really. You know what I mean? Unless mm-hmm. you become a hermit. So we're all kind of still part of this fall family, aren't we? But um, yeah. so how you deal with that is your own thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I did find it hard. Uh, towards the end with the us three because it's like three times the fall baggage as I've said before because yeah. you've got your yeah. way of dealing with it I've got my way of dealing with it but and people's expectations we're getting more fall fans coming to see us but 
uh, they didn't like us doing four songs, even though we just stuck a couple in at the end to please them. But it's like you can't stand on your own two feet, lads. Why are you doing four songs? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have that, don't they? No, you can't. No, the, the, I mean, we've had that with the, with the Extricated as well. It's the same thing. They like you to do four songs, but they never think you do them justice. And the songs you've, you've written or helped write, you're entitled to play them. But anyway, maybe it's changed now that uh, Mark's no longer with us, but I've not tried them. I've done the odd four song, actually, uh, in Blue Orchids. I, I, I do uh, Before the Moon Falls in the set. Well, I was doing a couple of years ago now. But, so that'll be the not the version that's on... Dragnet, obviously, it was it was just kind of a, was it a different song or was it? I did a mashup of work and before the moon falls and called it work before the moon falls. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so, well, I mean, I, that's good. That went well in the live set, and I just mashed the two together. I've never understood why you, that 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 thing with Factory Star, why you wouldn't be enormously proud and present the, the early Blue Orchid stuff as much as possible because I mean it was it was a fantastic band and to um, without you know. <laughs> without being too uh, sycophantic, to come back with that, which was so different from The Fall, it was kind of like The Fall, but different at the same time. I thought it was a brilliant achievement, Blue Orchids. Yeah. Yeah, well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I was deliberately trying to not sound like The Fall, of course. I didn't want to just be like another Fall. Yeah. So I made an effort, you know, to get a, a different kind of sound together. But after a while, you feel like you're sort of tying one hand behind your back because sound like the fall is quite natural to me as well because I help create the sound. So yes. I kind of relax that now. And uh, I, th- what I'm doing now has more elements of uh, fall sound in it because right. why not? It's like I say, I'm, I'm, I don't want to self edit stuff out that comes no, out. To me, you know? Definitely not. But as I say, that's what I, I could never get with it because, you know, mm. you would, you know calling yourself something else and having mostly new songs. I, you know, But then I, I suppose that's something that The Fall's always done as well, hasn't it? They've kind of left their old stuff behind. That's the thing, isn't it? You've got to keep moving on and making new stuff. You know, that's my approach. I, I'm always more interested in the new stuff that's more exciting, you know. We've got yeah. to some old standards for, for people who want to come and see, you know, but it's getting a balance, isn't it, getting the set yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're we, putting... Our first gig coming up is in Ebden Bridge on the... July the 23rd, coming up, that'll be the first gig coming out of lockdown, and that's going to have stuff on it. Uh, we're going to be playing stuff that's on the next album that's not even recorded yet. So we are getting new stuff in the set, which is part of the tradition, what's expected. Uh, lots of stuff for the current album that's out. Uh, yeah. You know, June the 25th. What's the lineup now of... Uh, yeah, now still- we've got um, Howard Jones on drums, uh, right. Vince Hunt on bass. Oh, Howard! Right. Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, well-known yeah. face around my yeah. uh, We've got, of course, John Palmer on our keyboards. He's uh, legend, absolute legend. Yeah, yeah. he's for like eleven years now, or something, as you know. Yeah, so, um, yeah. We've got Tansy McNally on the electric ukulele, which is a psychedelic revelation. She's wow. uh, we've flown her in from Melbourne, Australia. She's that special. And, yeah. and me on guitar and vocals, of course. So we're a five-piece now. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so, yeah, that's the line for the current album that's out uh, later this month. Yeah. You're doing some gigs with the Nightingales, is that right? Yeah, in November we, we're going to do a bit of a mini tour around Scotland and a London date as well. And and Newcastle, to be fair. Great. Yeah, you know, in November, yeah. We've got quite a few gigs coming up this year. Tentatively, because, you know, God willing with all this... Uh, right, well... I think we're about up to yeah. date now, aren't we? So it's been good to talk to you, Mark. Yeah, it has, yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. 
You've managed. To, you managed to record last year, then. Yeah, in um, July, sort of. It was um, we, we we rehearsed for three days and recorded for three days and did a whole album in three days. Yeah, playing live in the studio in the beginning of July last year. Yeah, it was a little Brilliant. window. Yeah, so we got it done. It's the only way to record that, isn't it? Playing live that's, like that's that. That's the way I know, and I stick to it now. I, I do it just the way we, we learn doing peel sessions. You always get the best sound if you got the band playing together with a decent studio. Yeah. Definitely. That's what I know how to do, and it saves money as well. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and you've got the live feel, though. You've got that energy, you know, to yeah. play with each other. Which, uh, Definitely. Yeah. I can always make that work, you know, so. Yep. Yeah. All right, mate. All right. Well, it's good to speak hey. to you. Take yeah, care. I hope, the, the gigs go, I hope they take place, first of all, and I hope they go really well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and, you. Uh, when we, when we have this big night out for everyone who's been on the podcast, you'll have to come along. Yeah, totally, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I knew we were back in Manchester as well this week. Oh, yeah? All right. All right. News, yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right, mate. All right, see you soon. Okay. Ta-da. Bye. Thanks for joining us again on Old Brother. Episodes are released every second Friday, so watch for episode 10 in two weeks. Please follow us on Twitter, at Old Brother Show, where you can find a link to Spotify and subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, give us a rating on iTunes or tell your friends about us. For further reading, you can check out our books, published by Root Publishers and available from all good bookstores. Hope to speak to you again soon, and remember, if you're driving, take your car. <laughs>